Hey everybody, this is Mayday, the Handmaid's Tale podcast. This is Justin. Very excited to be back after a few months off uh, doing a full show here after the show has gone on hiatus. We've done a few things here and there, some interviews, some uh, covering of protests, and uh, really enjoyed doing all that stuff. But we're really excited to be able to bring you a full show of Mayday, our first one, like I said, since the show has been on hiatus. Now, there's a few things that you're going to hear on this show today, so I wanted to give a little uh, announcement beforehand. We have our interview with Ann Crabtree. Uh, the whole thing is not on here. It is uh, going to be its own separate thing, so you can download it separately through the podcast. Uh, if you subscribe, you're already going to get it. It'll already be right there with everything else. But we put a good 20, 25-minute sample on this podcast right here, so you'll hear that, and then you can uh, listen to the rest of it on its own. It is absolutely incredible. She was very forthcoming and very uh, open and honest about a lot of things. We talked about the show, her process. We got into a little bit about her childhood, some political stuff, just all kinds of really cool stuff. We had a great time with her, and we cannot thank her enough for coming on the show. She was amazing. Now, the next part that you're going to see is we also have some bonus content from her. Uh, if you go to our website, you will see a link on the front page that will take you to a photo gallery of images that she shared with us that basically walked through her creative process of creating not only the you know iconic handmaids look, but also some other looks from the show. We got sketches, photos, all kinds of cool stuff that she was nice enough to share with us. So please, please, please check that out because that is awesome, and I don't know that you can find some of that anywhere else. Um, the next thing, we have children's author, author of the book series Science Wide Open, which you may have seen us tweet about about three weeks ago. Uh, the author, Mary Wissinger, she's also from St. Louis. So uh, we invited her over to the show, and she was on here live. So we did an interview with her and just invited her to stay for the whole show and talked about a number of things uh, that I think you all enjoy, some uh, light topics, some heavy topics. So there's a lot to uh, be heard on this show. It's really fun. Like I said, our first show since The uh, Handmaid's Tale has been on hiatus. So... Uh, right now, I'm going to let you hear the Ann Crabtree sample that we have at the beginning of this podcast. Like I said, you can hear the rest of this on its own. It's a full interview. It's about an hour total, so uh, probably another 40 to 45 minutes additional of what you're about to hear, um, and it's totally worth the listen, so please uh, absolutely go out and find that. Uh, thanks for listening, and I'll be back with an announcement right after this. Hello, we are here. This is Mayday, the Handmaid's Tale podcast. Justin and Tiana here with you, and today we have the honor of interviewing costume designer for the Handmaid's Tale, none other than Ann Crabtree. Ann, how are you doing today? I'm great, and I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you for uh, coming really on can. the show. <laughs> uh, first you. thing we wanted to do, I uh, talked to Tiana earlier, and I was like, first thing we have to do is congratulate you on the Emmy nomination. Yeah. Oh, man. Thank you so much. It's my first. It's my first. That's what I. That's what I told years, her. Brother. That seems crazy. That... You've worked on so many <laughs> huge movies and shows you know, for costume design. You know, I mean, I was gonna say I agree, but I don't. I do, and I don't agree because it's it's like how many people get nominated? Not many, and yet twenty eight years <laughs> sounds like a long time. So yeah, yeah but Pan Am. Masters of Sex, Westworld. These are yeah. these are well known and revered for their costume design. I was going to say it was interesting to me oh, when no. I when I when I looked at it. I was really surprised. A, I, well, one, I was wondering if the internet had their stuff updated because I could I could find the Costume Guild nominations, but not your current nomination for the Emmy. So I hope they get that updated. Yeah. Um, and then I'm not sure. 
I thought it was interesting that I had a question about the Westworld situation because Westworld is also nominated for Emmy and you worked on that show and I thought yeah. you were the lead costume designer, but is that not the case or is this like a crediting issue? Well, with- it depends. It depends on what you say lead. So uh, I, I love Westworld. I've loved it since I was a kid and that show was a beautiful experience. I did the first season the whole of the first season, there was one designer who did the pilot um, who's been nominated. You know, I did, it's a long story. Often when you, when you do a pilot, you have to reshoot a lot of it because of change of cast or that sort of thing. So I was a part, a big part (laughs) of the pilot and how, you know, what was shown. And then, um, for the second episode of the first season, the production designer was nominated, but I wasn't. So that stung a little bit. But I got a, a beautiful email from him, Zach, uh, who said, you know, I wouldn't be nominated without your costume. So it's it's just a weird, who knows how it all works, folks. I I am new to this and I have no idea. But <laughs> yeah, it hey, was interesting. Is good. <laughs> We, we were going through, we had it, we did our little, uh, some mini episodes of our podcast for the Emmy nominations when they came out. And it was interesting how oh, wow. some of it works because, you know, you get nominated for, like you're saying, episodes. So you're nominated for the pilot person yeah. and not anything else. So that makes sense yeah. now that you explain it that way. Let's get into a little bit of the Handmaid's Tale stuff because I know you've been interviewed a bajillion times, which I think is awesome. Um, let me ask you that Aww. question first. Is, is Hulu seemed to be very, uh, insistent on putting you out front, I think, because the costuming for this show was so important and uh, went beyond just like the look, but also was kind of a plot point and a driver of the story. Uh, how did that feel? And is that any different than uh, other shows that you've worked on in the past? That's that's a really very, very well put question. So, you know, nothing changes in terms of the work that I do, I, I was thinking about this after getting nominated. You know, I, I said to one of my best friends who is someone that I mentioned as someone giving me my first break in the business. And he called to say congratulations, which meant a lot. And I said, you know, what's weird. I was excited for the first hour. And then I realized I'm still going to always work the same way. You know what I mean? Like if, whether a job is smaller or larger, Certainly, uh, the story is small or large, period, or or present day. You know, every studio wants you to do your best, every company that you work for. And I think the big difference with Hulu is Hulu didn't give me any rules, which is astounding. (laughs) And neither did MGM. (laughs) And I think that in and of itself takes away huge barriers to the mind and what uh, is possible. And so that was a very different experience than anything I've ever experienced. I kept waiting, you know, for (laughs) the shoe to drop, as they always say. And um, I I never heard anything. And finally, Bruce, I asked him quietly after, you know, this whirlwind of episodes, I said, man, I'm not hearing anything. Like, what the hell? What's going on? And he said, you know what, Anne, there's no note. Except they want to know, I don't know if it was Hulu or MGM, the only note I got all year long was they want to know why we're not hiring, you know, all size women. 
And he started laughing and he's like, I had to tell them that you thought so long and hard about this handmaid's dress that it would fit any shape. And then I, you know, I came out and told them like, that is absolutely true. Like I designed for curvy women like myself, but also it was uh, an approach because these people do not have a choice. Like they're given one thing to wear for the rest of their lives for however long Gilead is lasting and it's the least the commanders could do when designing a dress <laughs> for them. <laughs> like, okay, sister, you're going to wear this forever now. Like, it, it can be ugly, it can be pious, but it, um, you know, just design-wise, if I am Joseph Lyons and creating this idea, I don't want to waste time and or money. They have neither in Gilead. And so good design is important even when it's for prison. You know what I mean? For imprisonment, you have to design succinctly so that it's lasting. Many people can wear it should one die, which unfortunately happens all the time. Uh, so, yeah, it was that was my one and only note. And I had a good backup <laughs> as awesome. to the why. Wow. They were hugely supportive early on. Like, I remember talking to them maybe in. I started in uh, July in Toronto last year, probably in August. They were already talking about the importance of the costumes. And Bruce Miller, the show's creator, when I met him and Warren Littlefield in L.A. in May of last year, Bruce was so all about costumes, not just for The Handmaid's Tale, but in life. And I had never met a straight man, <laughs> a straight male writer. I know this is terribly, uh, terribly limiting of me to say, but it, it's really the truth. In 28 years, I had never met a straight male writer and creator who could talk at great length about costumes. And he even sort of mentioned specific costumes for both uh, Caitlin Fitzgerald and Lizzie um, Kaplan, the other Lizzie, not Lizzie Moss, Lizzie Kaplan on Masters of Sex. And I thought, you know, how does he know so much about clothes? And then I realized his biggest thing, because Bruce knows The Handmaid's Tale backwards and forwards. He's been, I think, grooming himself for this for, I don't know, over 20 years. It could be even 25. He's wanted to do this project. And rightfully so. He did an amazing job. They sat me down, Bruce and Warren, and said, this is very pivotal to the show, the look of this. And we don't want to do what's been done before. And we don't want to have a costume drama. And I basically wept for joy (laughs) (laughs) and said, I'm relieved because I, you know, you know how in Vegas they have a tell, which I always find psychologically very uh, interesting. I have a tell, you know, when I'm creating, when I'm designing, I cannot create falsely. And one thing I would be probably very bad at is um, designing specific to recreating the past verbatim, you know, like, I don't know what a fashion anthropologist might, (laughs) you know, I, I, my brain just sort of wants to veer off in other directions. So I said to them, truthfully, I think I'm your girl because I don't have an inkling of interest in creating a history of costume on the screen. 
because it's already been done. It's been lived. What I want to do is do something modern. And that was the key, the kind of nucleus for the three of us sitting at that moment. I think it was like an over two hour interview. And really, it was like three kids sitting down in a circle saying, what are we going to do that's so new? What are we going to do that feels like today? Because the story is about today. You know, I think Tiana can especially test. She's a uh, visual artist herself. And so I think she can attest to to, um, that creative process and not wanting to rehash things. Yeah, you can't be new all the time. Nothing is really new. But like you want it to feel fresh. You want it to feel specific to that thing, to that event. That's right, Tiana. And I I think I'm speaking to your artist now. I think that even though we all know that nothing is new, and, you know, history has shown us that visually, I feel like, I don't know if you feel the same way, but I feel very strongly, you know, I don't watch certain things. I, I don't want to be influenced in my work uh, in, in any specific way. I want it absolutely to be true to story. But regarding that, I often go to very strange places for inspiration that have nothing to do with clothing. Because I want it to be freeform and new and a different take on things. Yeah. 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 And looking outside of the medium that you're going to be working in can be just so freeing. Oh, yeah. And that it it introduces (laughs) you to new shapes and textures that you that would never have entered your mind. Ways that things can play off one another that just doesn't happen in your chosen medium and therefore will be really fresh and new. The Handmaid's Tale is kind of a unique world situation for clothing where it's past now. So they have all the same materials and basic things that we have today, but it still needs to look so puritanical in comparison to what people would choose for themselves today. You are able to get extremely creative with that. Oh, that's really cool. Thank you. (laughs) I'd like to get into the aftermath of The Handmaid's Tale uh, the Handmaid's Outfit specifically, costume. Um, okay. So what was your... Cause, and Hulu kind of at least precipitated this or at least initiated it in, in a way, I think. Um, they did all the marketing where they had the Handmaids walking around New York prior to the show. Uh, yeah. Um, and South yeah. by Southwest. Yeah. Right, and South by Southwest, correct. And subsequently after that, you've seen... Uh, I think the first one was in Texas where the women's group has, was... Uh, dressed as the handmaids and went to the Capitol to protest. And then we've also got a group. Yeah. We've also got a group here in Missouri that I think was probably the next one to kind of latch on to that. And they're doing things currently. And so what I would like to know, one, two things. One, I know that reading in doing some research for this, there were a number of your uh, costumes that for shows like Pan Am and uh, masters of sex that uh, actually people in fashion designed around what you've created and made a whole type of fashion yeah. line. Um, but this is a different yeah. ballgame. So this is something that you've created that has gone beyond the scope of the show, beyond the scope of the fashion world, and is out in the real world with people latching onto it as a way of protest. And mentally, what is that like to see that? And h- how does that just make you feel? You know, it's crazy. I had to stop because I was getting emotional before answering, (laughs) which is amazing because the first time uh, the thing in Texas happened, Pro-Choice America, uh, NARAL happened, uh, I mean, immediately when I came back from Toronto, finishing the season in February, 
I think it happened a week later. Um, I designed the the dresses and the handmade looks that you saw for Hulu that happened all around the country. And subsequently, Nayral, uh, Texas, contacted me to say, how do we go about this? We're going to protest in the Senate. And we had a conversation about the how. I couldn't help them legally. You know, when I saw that happen a week later, it was so fast. And I think the emotional impact, it's almost like a post-traumatic stress, but let's think of a positive term for that, you know, like that's symbiotic with the same feeling. It's right. a, yeah, it's a long lasting kind of punch to the heart in a good way, because it was my reentry into the States after being completely worried for seven months in Toronto as to what was really happening here on the other side of the pond. We were creating our story, which was so parallel to real life, you know, very, very emotional. And I just met with Bruce Miller and Warren Littlefield last week. And I thought it was the only one who was sort of destroyed lying, you know, in fetal position in my apartment when I got back, but that we all were including the writers, you know, and I think it's anytime something is so close to the bone, it will have a long lasting effect on your life. And if you're lucky enough to be an artist to feel that you're so friggin' lucky. And for me to have created something that was so all about disengaging women, taking away, stripping away their power you know, having to do that for work, it was very emotionally taxing to be that person and to, to design uh, with the idea of hindering women. For that to turn into a symbolic uh, costume of freedom and power is, I can't even describe it. It is so beautiful and fulfilling. And, you know, I can't take 100%. Uh, I can take, you know pride in that it came from my brain but certainly I didn't write The Handmaid's Tale the the wonderful Margaret Atwood did that years before and to be a part of that I, I don't think I'll ever forget it like not ever um, so a little <laughs> follow up and I was telling Tiana we're kind of you, our podcast and you are kind of reaching each other at a sort of serendipitous moment um, because totally unrelated to you um, I had contacted Narl here in Missouri uh, because they yeah. were um so tomorrow yeah. they are doing a uh handmaid's protest um oh my so God. what i wanted to do what i wanted to do was to say to you if you could speak to these women who are doing this what would you say to them if you could just point blank speak to them and say here's what i would love to say to you about what you're doing wow you're gonna just have a whole podcast full of you know, me crying the entire time. Now, uh, here's what I want to say. Okay. Listen, I just drove cross country, literally not even a week ago, um, from Georgia to here and went through Missouri. And I wish I could just stop by. I'm not even kidding. Like, <laughs> I always seem to be in the wrong place when these things go down. But anyway, I want to say to them that they are hugely inspiring to me as a whole group for the United States and specific, you know, specific states. But, you know, when their protest happened in Missouri, I was putting together a exhibition of my clothing for the Paley Center in Los Angeles. And 
you know, we had to do it very quickly and it was like heavy lifting and blah, 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 and trying to throw it together. And I happened to look, you know, on Twitter, their protest came up and I fell to the ground crying because it was so moving that this was happening and that people were utilizing the costumes to as a means of protest and a means of power. And that's what I want to say to them, that it has touched me personally, a lot of the issues, um, including, you know, right to abortion. And I was a young girl in New York who had to have two uh, because of no insurance. And the first one was at Planned Parenthood and they really helped me. And the second time, uh, was not, and it was really dangerous. So I wish I was protesting with them. The issues have touched me 100% personally back in the day and today as a woman who is multiracial with an immigrant parent with many, many friends and family who are in the gay and trans community. And um, I don't know. I'm just so moved by all that they're doing. And I, I applaud them wholeheartedly and support them. That was beautiful. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> I mean it. Um, so you do you dovetailed there right into something I wanted to talk about, which was the biracial Japanese heritage thing that I yeah. wanted to get into a little bit. Yeah. But before we do that, I have something that I've mentioned a number of times on the podcast um, when talking about okay. the various costumes on the show. And it bugged me all the way until the uh, second to last episode, I think, when I finally realized that it was actually a thing. And that was the high heels for the wives. Because Oh, okay. I noticed it, and I don't know why I noticed it, but I noticed that, like, Serena Joy, well, with Yvonne Yastrowski being a fairly tall woman to begin with, was towering <laughs> over everyone. And I was like, okay, she's tall, but that is really tall. And I was like, is that a thing? I just can't tell. And it's not something, you know, the shoes aren't anything that's addressed. But... When it came to, the, I think, the ninth episode, when um, Janine gets sent to her new house. Yes. Uh, yeah. When they walk into the bedroom, right before they get onto the bed, the, whatever the wife is, she steps out of the heels and drops about six inches. And I was like, yes, it's real. Okay, so <laughs> I need you to tell me if I'm making that up and I saw that and it's not real or if that was intentional. I have only, I was there every day on set. I have seen... all of the dailies. Um, I have only in full watched episode one, two, and 10, only because they showed it at an event where I had to talk about it afterwards uh, in New York for Vogue magazine. You know, three through 10, uh, three through nine, I was so emotionally disturbed after watching one and two that I I knew I had to and should watch it for the press to see how it was edited, you know, how music changes the mood. But I was, it was too close to home. It it emotionally disturbed me at a time when I had just come back. I have not seen nine, which is one of the most seminal episodes and got nominated, you know, also for an Emmy. I am going to have to... (laughs) binge watch three <laughs> through nine i'm probably just going to binge watch all of them but believe it or not um dorothy fortenberry who is one of the head writers uh for season one and season two she when i said that to bruce and warren talking on season two 
she said, don't do it. Don't do it. She's like, I watched all of season one as a binge watch before we started writing. And she said, you know, she was a mess. She was in the corner, like in pieces. And that's someone who helped write that show. Wow. So I, you can see it has this effect. I, I, I sure do wish I hadn't done it just one day to watch the show and see what people feel and or take from it. So I'm so, I'm so interested that you caught that. I will say that the idea of heels, I never wanted a super high heel. And I will tell you that shoes became a real issue in Toronto because we had so many oh, I can imagine. Of individual tribes, you know, like, and a lot of them had to be painted to be a certain color, especially the teal. Uh, I mean, you know, you go try to find a hundred pairs of teal shoes <laughs> in one city. But um, for Yvonne, yes. You know, I utilized her towering height. Uh, also, Ever Carradine, uh, who plays Naomi Putnam, who is actually, she and her husband are the most in charge. Serena Joy and uh, Fred um, are one step below, but still more powerful. Anyway, I utilized everything in the body. Being from the South, I remember this kind of woman. Uh, she was my kind of second mom, uh, Ona Gibbs. And she was rail thin. She was an artist and she wore heels and she would walk really defiantly loud uh, in a way that my mother, who's Okinawan, would not in heels. And she said, you should be able to hear a strong woman come in the room. And I'll never forget <sighs> that because I was you know, 15 when I met her and um, she passed, you know, when I was 21 or no. I might have been closer to 25 when she passed, but she left an indelible mark on me as a woman and what makes a strong and a weak woman. And I'm sure I threw her in to Serena Joy and the commander's wives. A hundred percent when I'm designing and a lot of it's in a flurry and a lot of it is, you know, three and four episodes at a time, which is cuckoo. Right. It is so, it is so by the skin of your teeth, as they say, and by your absolute gut. So there you have it, a little sample of our Ann Crabtree interview, Emmy-nominated costume designer for The Handmaid's Tale TV show. She's absolutely fantastic. The rest of that interview in its entirety is available for download right alongside this podcast. So wherever you are listening to this podcast, it should be right there waiting for you. Uh, also, don't forget, go to our website, allconsumingcontent.com. Check out the photo gallery of images that she sent us, kind of outlining the uh, creative process behind the uh, Handmaid's looks and the rest of the looks for the show. It's fantastic stuff. Allconsumingcontent.com. Now, last thing. Uh, I wanted to let you know about a few things that we're, you're going to hear us talking about on the show. And they might sound like advertisements. And we wanted you to know that they are 100% not advertisements because no one is paying to be on this show. But what we decided moving forward, instead of advertising, instead of sponsors... Uh, we wanted to find our own people and organizations and cool things that we wanted to bring to you and partner with them to bring you cool content throughout the month and talk about them on the podcast and give them a little promotion and uh, just really bring you some cool things that we thought are great and that we're passionate about. And we're not going to get paid for it. We're just going to give those away. Uh, so what we will be doing is partnering with one small business to medium sized business per month that is female owned or female oriented, one organization or charitable project. And then one wild card spot, so a singer, a writer, a movie that's coming out, something like that. 
uh, one of those things that don't fit into the other categories. So you're going to hear us talk about those on the podcast. Just know that no one's paying to be here, that we've sought those people out or those organizations out and really want to just spotlight and bring those to you because we think they are worth your time. So please uh, support them and check them out if you can, because once again, no one is paying to be here. We just want to make sure that you are aware of good people out there doing good things and cool stuff. So that's our idea. That's what we're bringing to you. Now, next week, we're going to have a big announcement about our Patreon account, which will allow you to sponsor us and help us out with moving the podcast forward. So be on the lookout for that sometime next week when we get the page all up and ready because it's going to have some cool rewards, going to have some bonus content that will be available to you. Uh, just some really cool ways that you can help support us and that we can bring you some awesome stuff. So be on the lookout for that. And uh, without further ado, here is the latest episode of Mayday, the Handmaid's Tale podcast. Hello and welcome to Mayday, the Handmaid's Tale podcast. This is Justin. Tiana. And Mary, our guest. How are you doing, Mary? Oh, I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you? I'm fantastic. Oh, great. I'm Tiana, how are you? Pretty good. That's Pretty good to hear. Right, I'm glad everyone is doing well. Yeah. So for those of you that don't know, Mary Wissinger is children's author. She writes books for children. I do. Correct? I do indeed. All right. Now, you may remember a month or so ago, roughly, we sent out a tweet via our Twitter account about a local bookstore here in town. That was carrying Mary's books. I did not know that Mary wrote these books. Nor had I talked to Mary in probably eight months. Probably. And so I just sent it out going, oh, I have an audience that would be into this kind of thing. Because it was a series called A Science Wide Open, which was uh, focusing on women in science. And I sent it out thinking, okay, my audience will like this. And overnight, it exploded at least from from our standpoint um it got over like fifty thousand impressions uh famous people were retweeting it it really hit home and i was just dying laughing while i was sitting on my couch because i was just like okay i'm gonna tweet this out and see what happens and this is like ding 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 and i was like looking at my phone going it's just funny because i laughed i looked at my wife i'm like you know it's really funny when like you try and tweet something out that's gonna get like retweeted and it will go viral and you know, nothing happens. And then you just like a random. I know you can't, you, when you try to make it happen, it never happens. And but when you throw this out there, it's just like, oh, this would be cool. The people will like this, and it's like, boom! Paul Feig, who is the director of Ghostbusters, the recent Ghostbusters reboot, um, retweeted it. And yeah, I looked at his account. He had like two million subscribers to his Twitter feed. He's the like, director of a lot of movies starring yes. some very funny ladies. What was the? I could not remember. Bridesmaids. That's the one I could not remember. That movie is great. I, love that movie. I think he might have also done Spy. Oh, Spy which if you haven't is, seen it, you should is absolutely watch outstanding. it. It's it is a so very, good. It's one so of those underrated. Movies, very underrated. More people go see Spy. And if you watch the trailer, it definitely does not sell Mm-mm. how good that movie is nope. because it is outstanding. It's a Melissa McCarthy. It's the yeah. best cast ever. In, yeah, Jason so many, pe- so many people you don't think are going to be hilarious yeah. are fucking hilarious in it's, that movie. It's pretty awesome. So we welcome Mary to our show so we can talk to her. Um, I want to do this because I've never done this. I've never actually had anybody in the studio before except for Crystal. Um, and I didn't think to do this at the time, so I'm going to do this. We're going to do a little icebreaker so people can get to know Mary on some some level, okay? You feel okay with that? Are you okay with that? I'm ready. That's good. <laughs> um, so, I, I was trying to figure out how I was going to do this, and I decided to call it Ridiculous Premises. And so, I'm going to throw you into a ridiculous scenario and give you a few questions about it, and we're going to see where it goes. All right? So, you have been transported to a world inhabited only by fictional characters. Ready? Okay. Here are the questions. 
on the, and this can be from any like venue, so like any mode of uh, media, books, movies, TV, anything. Your imaginary friend, okay. whatever. Who do you want to be best friends with once you get there? Whoa. A, a fictional character. Fictional character. It's only fictional characters. You are the only person from this world. Oh my goodness. That is really difficult because as somebody who really enjoys stories, I feel like there are a lot of people I'd want to be best friends with from TV or movies or books. Okay. Um, well, I have been watching Parks and Rec, doing a rewatch of Parks and Rec, so I will say it'd be fun to be friends with Leslie Nope, oh, who is just is, enthusiastic. That is, uh, that's, what's her name? Amy Poehler. Amy Poehler. Mm-hmm. Not good with names. Smart girl. Oh, I see what you did there. I see Amy what you Poehler's did there. Smart Girls. Amy Phenomenal. Smart Girl uh, website, blog, yeah. Facebook account. All of those all things. All of those yeah. things. Phenomenal. Uh, fantastic site. You should check that out. So so you're going to go with Leslie Nope? Yeah. Now, now tell me a little bit about her character on the show for the people that don't know and that aren't the Park and Rec fans. Well, she is very enthusiastic and driven, and she doesn't let obstacles get in her way. So she's resilient, but is always... Uh, basically cheerful about it even when stuff really goes south uh, tiana are you a uh, park and rec Parks um and i've rec seen fan? like maybe half of a season collectively of the ones sprinkled throughout many seasons that i've seen i'm not a dedicated watcher but it's mostly just because i don't have time not because i think it's not a worthwhile show okay. um so here's our second question are you okay. ready yeah who do you want to start a romantic relationship with <gasps> You're shipping me? I'm I, totally shipping you. I just got... Oh, I got to put a vote in for you. Have you oh. read Outlander? Uh, I have not. <laughs> Jamie from no, Outlander. I'm just say, saying, you can't go wrong. That is a show I have watched because my wife has read all those books. Yeah, the, the first of all, can I just awesome. say... I don't know how people, the person that writes those, I forget who is the woman that writes uh, those books. Yeah, I don't remember either. They're incredibly huge. Yeah, they're, I, I think every one of the novels is over a thousand pages. It's I mean, they're you're, like, you've never seen they're like the Moby Duck of adventure oh, slash it's romance. Incredible. Anyway, are pick you aware of this? Pick show? your person. A story? Well, actually, I, I'm familiar with the show. I watched the first season. My husband and I watched the first season with a set of our friends, and it was actually this really fascinating social experiment to me because it's a show that has um, sex. But consenting sex, and it also has violence, and I was realizing that I felt more uncomfortable when there was consensual sex going on than there was violence, and I thought, this is really strange, that this is, it's like more normalized for there to be this violent stuff happening than two people like really enjoying each other. That is bizarre. So it kind of made me stop and think about the media of our culture. And about the socialization of Americans. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Normalization, normalization of violence. Yeah. Which is interesting, because I think that's one of the big things, like when you talk to people from, say, like england or you know european culture the sexual side of it is very much more normalized over there it's not as huge of a deal for like commercials and things to be a little more sexy and a little more revealing than sexy toothpaste what they a lot are more. here yeah and <laughs> over here like guys could get shot in the face on right? like an afternoon cartoon it's show awful. And it's whatever yeah. um but that doesn't answer our question mary so we're shipping you and you have not decided who to be shipped with oh well I, I mean it's my first time on this podcast character. any fictional character oh my goodness Sub question. Oh gosh. So when you were younger, yeah, who who was who was somebody that you read about? That you were like, I want that to be my my, my oh, person. And I mean, Harry could... Potter all the way. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Well, my mom was is a children's librarian, and so she gave me Harry Potter like a couple years before it really became big. So I was reading it at kind of a formative time. I think it was eight or nine years old reading the first book, and I just thought Harry Potter was the bee's knees. That's hard for me to imagine. I didn't know about Harry and Potter until high school. Oh yeah. 
now, well, you're, you're talking about the character in the book of Harry Potter that now anybody can only picture as Daniel Radcliffe. So. It's true. That's yeah. true. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, okay, back to uh, adult shipping here in the land of fictional characters. Adult shipping? Yeah. Like, this is you right now. Like, boom, I snap my fingers, you're gone, living with nobody but fictional characters. <laughs> um. <clears throat> Your fictional character hall pass, as it were. Well, you know, I'll say this. Uh, my husband is a teacher, and he's had some of his students tell him that he is like a particular Parks and Rec character, back to Parks and Rec again, named uh, Ben Wyatt. And so I'll say Ben Wyatt because that would, I guess, be close to my husband, who I really, really love. I feel like that's a bit of a cop-out. That it's is, a cop-out? That is what we refer to as a cop-out. Oh, Okay. Actual fictional character that does not resemble your real life spouse. Oh, there we go. Dang. There we go. See, I didn't. I didn't like make it specific enough. Oh, okay. Um. Who knew that this would be the one that would stump me? I don't know. But it's amusing. I think you're being too cerebral about this question. Am I? <laughs> okay. Let's. By the way, say... your husband looks like Clark Kent. Not anyone from Parks and Rec. Just for the. <laughs> Because he has brown hair and glasses. Because he, for real, looks like Clark Kent. <laughs> now I'm going to have to see him like a whole new light next time I run into him. <laughs> yeah, you will. If I drew up like... I'm going to be Kent. mentally comparing him to various fictional characters. Yep. <laughs> um, I will say that I have enjoyed the Star Wars reboot that follows... The, like, the original story, right? Right. So I'm not talking Rogue One here. Uh, but I really like Poe. And I know Poe has been shipped a lot with Finn, oh, but he's pretty cool. Yeah. Now, who's the guy that plays him? Because I'm bad with names. I don't know. Oscar Isaac? Oscar yeah, that Isaac. sounds right. right. Yeah. Yes. Uh, that's, okay. I can respect that choice. Yeah. He's a cool guy. Yeah. Pretty hot. I don't know who mine would be. Do you have one? Oh, it would depend on what kind of fictional world this is. Like, do I need to think logistically? Like, do I need somebody that has some skills that I don't have so I can survive in this, See, this fictional is world? See, this Tiana is so questions, cerebral. But... That's what I'm saying. It's harder <laughs> than one would think. No, if I was just, like, blanket picking, assuming it's a normal world uh-huh. and I don't need special skills. No, there's no special in skills In this world. Required. Oh, totally, Jamie from Outlander. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hands down. Don't need to think about it. I don't think anyone would argue with you. Yeah. I'm trying to think what I would even. Imagine, imagine what beautiful babies we would have. You would have they would be gorgeous. Would be very gorgeous heads yeah. of hair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. for sure. I picture like giant. Give like... that man a nice tan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. All right. So, last question. We okay. we know who you want to be friends with. Okay. Uh, Leslie Dope. We know who you want to start a relationship with. Poe Dameron. Mm-hmm. Who automatically becomes your arch enemy? Ooh. Oh no! It's got to be someone pretty bad to be my arch enemy. Um, I wish I could. You sound so wholesome could, saying this wish, right now. Like you just can't imagine hating anybody that, that Mary much. was making right now while she's thinking about these could be <laughs> transported to this podcast because they are amazing. Oh shucks! Uh, <laughs> what he means is they look ridiculous. Is actually ninety percent no, sure totally that, appropriate for the question. Sure that is the first time but shucks still has ever been said on this podcast. No, no, not no the one's version. ever said shucks on this. That can't Tiana be the first time. No, really, Tiana has it's a tally. Not. I don't know. Shucks. Oh, yeah, you're right. I'm just thinking of the other day when you said it. Oh. Oh, no. It was you. It's a phrase of mine. Okay. Well. Oh, shucks with Mary. You know what? That's a segment waiting to happen. Oh, shucks with Mary. But she's going to do that. 
I have to request that she automatically, cerebrally, somehow in her brain, taps back into that Wisconsin accent, which is, by the way... Oh, I can do that. It's my favorite accent of all time. (laughs) Really? Hit into store. I have my uh, my mom's my uncle lived in Milwaukee for lived in Waukesha actually for ever when I was growing up like and so he was he's you know he was the cool uncle and so I would go visit him so like starting when I was like twelve or something like it was one of those like unaccompanied minor flights boom up to see him and so I would go there like in the can't believe your parents trusted you that much they probably didn't they were just looking to get me the hell out of here so they could have some fun do something fair um. But yeah, so the the Wisconsin Northern accent is a thing that I was exposed to for forever, and just like so, and I have associated very fond with freedom, it, and I associate <laughs> it with just fantastic things. So it becomes my favorite accent automatically. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's my favorite one. How can you not love it? Durhe. It's really great. Oh yeah. It's true. It does make Fargo more enjoyable. Well, it's yeah. true. But I was teased mercilessly when I first moved to St. Louis. Really? How long did it take you to lose accent? the accent? Well, I I lost it pretty quickly once I got made fun of. Before. <laughs> did I you didn't... go home and like, work on it? <laughs> no. Well, so I moved to St. Louis and I said the word bag instead of bag. It took me a long time. I wouldn't have even known what you meant. Bag. Yeah. Whoa. That's that's a thing up there. So what? that took me a while to learn. Also, I didn't know. I mean, I knew bubbler. That's pretty like common, that what? bubbler. What? What? Wait, what is that? Is that the drinking fountain? Yeah, it's a drinking there fountain. There we go. Okay. Oh, bubbler. So, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm really learning like, new things. I was what? like, what is that? No, but also, you know, at Don't college, be embarrassed. There's, at college, there's an ice cream bar, you know, because uh-huh. it's designed for you to just gain a ton of weight. Right. And so, Did you grow up in the Archie comics? No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite question that anyone has ever asked on this show. This is just kind of what it sounds like. I mean, it was at the, you know, it was uh, the dorm food hall. Right? Food wow. Hall. What? Cafeteria. Dining hall? But yeah, dining hall. Thank we'll call you. It that. So they they have the soft serve and um I didn't know that I would be laughed at if I called the little colorful things. Like, what do you call the little sprinkles? Colors? Sprinkles. Okay, they're Jimmy's. Where I'm what? Um, no, no. The Jimmy's I think is the real name. Like I think like if you were going by like technical ice really? cream industry terms, I do believe that Jimmy's is really. I believe. Like I could be like Jimmy's was a brand name at some that point. Might be like what that kind it of was, thing. But I mean, now when we shop around here, it's sprinkles. But yeah. I, I really think Jimmy's was like the technical. I term. could totally see that being the uh, real situation. Like that Jimmy's those, was maybe, like the cre- the original kind of sprinkles, right, maybe, and now everybody just says sprinkles, and that's the generic name. Right, kind of like when you say I'm going to get the malt shop, and nobody says malt shop anymore. Like you're going to get a like a, it's milkshake, or, or like you yeah. know, and it, it, they're technically two different things, but you know what we're talking about. I don't so know where you guys I, are getting these '50s references, but it's really strange. I don't know. You didn't, Maybe you didn't, I did. You're not a, you don't didn't grow up in Pleasantville, no? Apparently, I just grew up in a very, in a much less quaint situation. <laughs> <laughs> there was a little corner, a corner of Schwartz's drugstore that I used to walk up to with my friends, and we would go and, like, peruse the comic racks and um, get milkshakes and little teeny tiny mini pizzas at the counter. Oh, that mini sounds pizza. great. I yeah. would kill for mini pizza. It was right like, now. it was like an old school corner shop it didn't have like you couldn't get gas there or anything it was just like like quick shop no not like that's not at all the right description it's hard to describe it was very quaint and small town interesting it went away when i was a kid i was Mm. sad all right 
Arch enemy. We still haven't determined it yet. That's oh. where we were when we drove off the rails. Yeah. That's right. So I feel like it would have to be somebody just really bad, like purely evil. So yeah, because you're the I'm, what I'm gathering from you is you're a pretty positive person. I so am. you're one of those people that it takes a lot for you to completely write someone off and it, to the point where there would be your arch enemy, right? I yeah, it's true. I mean, <clears throat> in the Dungeons and Dragons that I've played, I tried to make a character that was not lawful good, but it was, she was just lawful good. I couldn't help it. This is the best interview of all time. <laughs> Seriously, that it is all so just not keeps... the example I was expecting. <laughs> but this is the I can't best. help it's it. It was like, one campaign. Great. I'm just saying, it was oh one. My God, a couple years ago. This is gold. <laughs> I'm just showing wow. how painfully nerdy I am. It's amazing. This you are is... in the right place. You are. In, you That's are pretty in a, spectacularly you're, nerdy. You're in the I trust like tree. It. You're in a safe spot. This oh, is thank a safety you. zone for the the geeks. My mind went straight to Magneto personally. Oh, yeah. I really hate Magneto. He's just really bad why why See, given so many chances to do the right thing and help all of humanity and still the turns out to be a dick. i have with magneto and i'm only going off the movie version no of you can't just go off the movie I version know. i'm sorry i'm talking about I the am. comic version okay look i'm just saying in the in the movie version he is like in the holocaust it's also tougher to hate magneto when you make him so hot it's, a hot, it's hard to hate a lot of people when you make them. So. Yeah, that so was anyway, hard for me. Back to your arch enemy. Yeah, I'm going for really evil. So since yeah. now Harry Potter's in my head, I'm going to say Voldemort. I knew it. You I knew did? we were going Voldemort. You saw into my soul. Terrible. Because he is written he is really basically terrible. with no good, right? Yeah. He's basically written as like a someone you could not defend. Yeah. I mean, you can kind of like pity childhood him for a little bit, yeah. but he did really... Did they much of his backstory as like, this is why he became evil? Or was did you just read like... the books or just watch the movie? Uh, kind of both. Yeah. I've done a few of the audiobooks. And yeah. I oh, that's a two, great narrator. two women that live in my house that have read them multiple times. Yeah. So, um, so you, I'm familiar. Yeah, you get bits and pieces as the story goes along, but like you don't get all of it at once. But like upon like this, I realize how nerdy I'm sounding here. Upon like third rereading of the entire series, <laughs> like it'll really sink in that there was there was no hope of him not hating a lot of people. Like he had a really sad childhood, but. He just takes it to such a next level and a next level over and over and over again. And even when people try to give him the benefit of the doubt and try to allow him to, like, find goodness, he still turns away from it every time. He sure does. And that's what makes him arch enemy worthy. Yeah. I would agree. It's what? A good, it's really? a good choice. I would agree. It's an good excellent choice. choice. I you. was 90% sure that's where we were going because of the Harry Potter reference. And he's an easy one to go to, but he is a very good one to go to. So, no, so it's not like a cop-out. I wouldn't call that a cop-out at all. Oh, thank mm-hmm. goodness. I'm only mm-hmm. allowed one cop-out. Because per... even like if you go like baddest of the bad, I mean like Darth Vader. I mean, even he has like at least a semi-tragic backstory, you know? Yeah. Plus he just looks so cool. He does look cool. It's easy yeah. to love Darth Vader. Voldemort doesn't look so cool. No. Yeah. No. He's got a nose problem. Nice, super creepy. Very true. Um, all right. So yesterday, for both of you, Moving on from, uh, uh, well, first of all, let me say thank you for playing that game, and I hope you enjoyed it. I did enjoy it. And I, I hope that gave... We uh, should do that with all our guests. I, well, yeah. I think I'm going to from yeah. now on. I think that was kind of fun. Yeah. And I think it gave people a uh, very in-depth look at Mary Wissinger's brain. What do you think? <laughs> I think so. I revealed some things I did not expect to talk about today. <laughs> well, you didn't... For example, <laughs> D&D. <laughs> so, it's all good. I think there's plenty of... The D&D thing... You... You know, you you can come out a little bit more about the D and D thing these days. It's not quite the uh, yeah. You know, it's more endearing now. It's more yeah. endearing. You know, Big Bang Theory has opened up a lot of avenues. It's true for the, for the geekdom. You know, mm-hmm. these days. 
So, Mary, let's talk about the book a little bit. So, Science Wide Open and the other series. What is your other series? It's called My First Science Textbook. All right. So, tell me the reaction overall to these two book series. Um, from Especially from, uh, well, I know just from our tweet that went out that kind of blew up, uh, I would imagine that you've probably gotten some feedback that you maybe weren't anticipating that was has it been pretty overwhelmingly positive? Yes. 100% overwhelmingly positive. And it was really something special to get emails from female scientists saying, thank you so much for writing these books. Uh, I appreciate that this is something that I can share with my son about what I do every day. I like oh, that. I can, cool. Yeah, I that's can amazing. send this to my niece and get her excited about uh, chemistry. Uh, that is such a special feeling, but I know it's, you know, not because I wrote them, it's because there is a need for stories like that. So I was glad to help put something out in the world that would fill that need. Did you feel good? Yeah. Warm fuzzies. It was warm really nice. <laughs> that's like the best, uh, warm fuzzies you can possibly get from something you do for your job. Yeah. I mean, really, that's amazing. Yes. Yeah, so that was knowing another question. So the book is about women in science. How much feedback have you gotten from people, like you said, that have been reading it to their sons or that... Because I think uh, Rhea, who is our, one of our co-hosts here, that's always been her big thing, is that all the things that women do for other women is great, but it's not going to be... It, the biggest you change is going to need to make, need bigger, make better men, mm-hmm. yeah. um, which I could not agree with more. What feedback have you gotten from them, from women that are, or parents you know, all over that don't necessarily have daughters that read this too, but they've gotten a lot of that. Yeah. A a lot of women who I've talked to have said, I, this is a great way to present this information. The, I mean, the artwork is, is beautiful. And I think it's something that was, so Danielle Pioli, incredible, amazing artist makes my words look so much cooler. Uh, (laughs) It's just, it's just gorgeous. And anybody would look at it and be excited about it. If you're no matter what you identify as. That's awesome. Uh, so yesterday was a uh, women women's equality day. Were you both aware of this? Yeah, yeah. that was a re- that was a rhetorical question because I know you both were. Uh, so give me your feelings on that because I I always have a weird feeling about when a thing is like gets its own day. Now not that women's equality day shouldn't have its own day, but how how does it? What what are your feelings on that day? What is it? What does that do for you? Go ahead. Go ahead, Mary. Well. I read an interesting quote uh, from a woman, and I can't remember who said it, but she decided that she's she doesn't want to say that she's feminist anymore. It's just if somebody's not feminist and they're sexist, which I I really liked. I appreciated that because if you're a feminist, you are just for gender equality, mm-hmm. like blanket. So I think that is pretty great, and I think it's positive to celebrate people who have typically been underrepresented or people who have been marginalized or pushed to the side. So I feel good about Women's Equality Day because there's still a lot of ways in which things are not equal for a lot of groups. But, you know, women are half the population or just over slightly half the population. So good to bring to light that in some cases, for example, equal pay for equal work, uh, we are not on a level playing field. Right. Tiana? Hmm. I agree with all that. Yeah, I, I kind of blanket feel goodish about Women's Equality Day. I kind of have the same problem with it that I have about with like Equal Pay Day, where like it's giving a blanket statement to like pointing out 
hey, we're not still equal. And here's lots of facts about why we're not still equal and why it's important that we keep fighting for them. And let's, you know, talk about when these things were achieved. And in reality, when we're talking about those things and when organizations are putting out like, hey, did you know that on this day in 1985, women first gained the right to blah, blah, blah. They're always only talking about straight white women. And that's not something that people discuss. Like, I think talking about Women's Equality Day and Equal Pay Day and things like that kind of lets a lot of people off the hook from looking at issues deeply. And I wish that we just were better at using it as an opportunity to look at issues deeply. So I think it's good overall. I just think we could, like, do a better job of making it a force for, like, teaching people information that everybody should know and feel strongly about, (laughs) you know? So So I feel like it's a good start. (laughs) (laughs) And to build on to that, I mean, the if it's a if it has been a sad time for women in science, it has been a double sad time for women of color in science. There is a study that was published a few years ago uh, where every single woman of color who was interviewed had been mistaken for a janitor when she was a scientist in her lab. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Tiana's looking like yeah. Yeah, that shit happens everywhere. I don't know how many times I've been mistaken for the assistant or the yeah, so give me your, uh, intern when I'm clearly not right. intern age. Yeah, no, you're not that intern age. So give me being female, but also being you know biracial. What what is just gonna get sad your... real fast? No, okay. it, well, it's good to talk about though. Yeah, I mean, people should just everybody should make an effort to just be more aware of what life is like for other people, and that goes for people like me too. Um, there are lots of things that I don't have to worry about because I'm not say a large male that like has my hair color and skin tone and things like that. Like that's a different kind of burdensome life than I have. Um, I was raised into a family where I didn't have to worry about having food on the table at night. That's a different kind of privilege that I grew up with. I am straight. So I am given privileges that come with that. Um, I think we just all should do a much better job at being aware of how life is for other people and paying attention to other people as humans, not just like, people that are in our way from getting to the places we're all always in a hurry to get to and doing the fun thing that we're on our way to with our friends. Like think about the people you walk by and the people you interact with and treat everybody with exactly the kind of kindness and thoughtfulness that you would like to be treated with, you know? Love everybody. I'm very nice. <laughs> Do you think that's gotten better in your opinion, in your experience, both of you? Has it gotten better? Uh, from a minority perspective or from a women's uh, perspective from a woman's or both? Perspective. Um, I think it's more top of mind for people, and that helps people pause and think before acting or speaking. And sometimes I think that's just surface. Um, I also do see a little more of my male friends stepping up and saying so when they see something inappropriate or when they see something um, that could have been better or was just dismissive. And that's great. You know, everybody, everybody in the minority needs somebody in the majority to care before anything changes. So like it takes it takes you people in the majority to make change happen. And everybody in the minority needs to remember that we need our allies in the majority, no matter what subgroup you're talking about. You need your allies in the majority to help you. Um, So I think that part has gotten better. Our communication has gotten better. Do you feel the social media has helped that? No, no, I do not. No. I feel like everyone's id has been released via social media, and that has probably equally negative and positive consequences. It's worse for some people. It's better for other people. To go along with that, I think 
one of the really terrible things about the internet is that you can get into your own echo chamber and only talk to the people who exactly agree with what you say, uh, for better or for worse. So that doesn't always necessarily help the problem. So both of you have children. Um, Mary, you are a children's book author. So how do you approach those type of topics with your children? As far as how you how you teach those kinds of things, like Tiana was saying, to be empathetic or put yourself in other people's shoes and kind of think about outside of your own, you know, echo chamber or sphere of reality. Um, what do you think is the best way, and how have you gone about trying to teach about that? I don't know if there's a best way. I think different stories resonate with different kids or different adults, but I do think that reading is one of the most most powerful ways that you can see life from somebody else's perspective. So that's something that I take very seriously in uh, the books that I've been writing. And I was passionate about um, having the sort of star of Science Wide Open not be white because we need to see more we need to see more women, yes, but we need to see more women who are not white, straight and white, like Tiana was saying. Uh, it, I think it's difficult because so many of the women that I wrote about in Science Wide Open, essentially their work was stunted by the by the domination of males in the society. And things were way more difficult for them. They, But they were doing these amazing things. They were working in leaky laboratories with substandard equipment, and they were making huge discoveries that the, were then stolen out from under them. So it's, it's a tough balance because I want uh, young kids, girls and boys, to know how resilient these women were and how creative these women were. But I don't also want to paint the story for girls. Things are harder for you, uh, even though... And often, oftentimes it's the truth. I didn't want to just lay that and have that be the main theme of the books. You didn't want to, you didn't want to make the part where it's harder for girls to do that to be the main theme? Right. Okay. I wanted it to be about resilience and to say, you, you can do this. You, when you ask questions, you're a scientist. You are creative. Look at what these women did. And yeah, she dressed up as a man. So she would be allowed to go into cafes and talk about science and philosophy, but she did it anyway. And she changed the world. So this is Emily de Chatelet was a French scientist and Einstein would not have been able to come up with his theory of relativity without her work. I just heard that the other day, actually. Yeah, she's incredible. And I mean, there are so many incredible stories that I just only scratched the surface in writing the books. Yeah, that does sound like it would be extra tough to try to describe things like, and this is why it was hard for her. And this is how her work was written under a different name, was published under a different name, or how she was discounted in her work widely by men at the time. And then only later when a man repeated her work, was it accepted as the truth? Um you do want to, it's hard, you do want to like let kids know about those kinds of things because you need to know about those kinds of things to right. let them not happen again. You have right. to know history. But you also don't want to be like, and that's going to happen to you. Yeah. Let me lay this. Try anyway. Let me lay this <laughs> you know, that's not print. exactly a, a positive story that, right. you know, kids will want to emulate. Yeah. 
That's tough. It it is tough. And uh, so being a, I recently had my first child and and he is a white male. And on the 4th of July, my husband started telling our son the story of America and the 4th of July. And then it just really got, he tried to start explaining white privilege and how it's not bad to be a white male, but you have to really be aware. And it just totally spun out. And, you know, my son was two months old at the time. (laughs) No, gosh, not even two months old, one month old. So it's just, yeah, it's something that I'm very mindful of and I'm still figuring it out. So there's a website called Heroic Girls, which is one of the people that we interviewed very early on the show. The first show we did, I interviewed uh, John, deals a lot with gender issues in comics and pop culture. Gender representation a lot. Yeah, Yeah. because he's got two daughters and he was a writer and comic book nerd. And when his daughters were growing up, he started introducing them to comic books and saw kind of the positive impact that they had. And so he started this and it's been really successful. He actually just did a panel at uh, San Diego Comic-Con, uh, which is a huge deal. Over yeah. The yeah, Women in comics, there, there's an area we made great progress in. Yes, that's very true. I mean, it's actually. still, there's still lots of terrible ones, but yeah, we've made great progress um, in very notable, notable comics. And I think that makes a huge difference. I agree. Uh, he, he posted this the other day and he said, some days you just wake up to find that a group of female Nobel laureates tweeted out one of your quotes, and his quote is, don't allow men who hate women to define feminism as women who hate men. That's a good okay. quote. And second question about how to explain things to children, since both of you have them, both of you have experience. Um, we've had a few instances here the last month, so Charlottesville, and uh, I'd say the opposite end of the spectrum in Boston, where kind of the other side came out a lot stronger, and the other side didn't. Uh, how, do, how do you feel about tackling those issues, especially with children? Well, uh, my son is also a nerd. <laughs> um, and he gets really uh, upset with me sometimes when we are riding to school or so- to somewhere else on the weekend in the car. And I'm normally listening to public radio. And occasionally there will be a story that I think has like really graphic content that I'm not comfortable with him hearing. Like they will be describing the prosecution of somebody who brutally raped a bunch of people. If I go to change the channel, he complains and asks me to turn it back to the news. He really likes listening to the news, which on one hand, I'm very proud and happy. He really likes to be informed and like is interested in what's happening in other parts of the world in our country. But um, on the other hand, that means he hears about a lot of these things and he just he asks a lot of questions. It doesn't seem to be freaking him out extra, which is what I was really afraid of, that he would just be scared. Yeah. And, you know, I, I pretty frankly answer his questions just in, you know kid level answering his questions mary have you obviously your son is too young to uh even comprehend that <laughs> but i think about it a lot yeah, and it's, what, it, what it's have, so as a uh, yeah this is interesting so as a new mom yeah. um what have your thoughts been on how you're even before let's say while you were pregnant what were your feelings on how you were going to handle it as opposed to now that you now that he's here sure well i i do want to say i think what Tiana's experience brings to light. I, a lot of people are asking, how can this be happening in 2017? And <laughs> I think it's important to remember that it never went away. Yeah, It has still been happening this whole time. Um, so I just wanted to say that because I know it's a question that's been asked a lot. Uh, if I can interject briefly, not to interrupt you, but I wanted to make this point because I made a very similar point to a friend of mine who um, maybe both of you saw it, but the Vice News piece um, that was put out where the female reporter was kind of embedded with this group of neo-Nazis. Uh, she basically is kind of with them the entire time. Uh, but a lot of people that watched that were like, I'm disgusted, stomach turning. And like, it is terrible and it is awful to see. 
but it did not surprise me. Like there's nothing. It surprises a lot of white people. It blows my mind that it surprises anybody. It surprises so many. I have a really good friend that you know um, who works in an office, and through the election, there's a group of women in his office, uh, are older, and so they would come in spouting off these things that they'd heard about Hillary or other, you know, just talking points, you know, that were terrible. And I told him, I was like, you can't be surprised by what is in that video if three old women at your office will say the stuff that they have said in public out loud. What do you think happens when you get on the internet, like you were saying earlier, where there's all the anonymity and you have no repercussions of anything? And you, you can't be surprised by it, any of this. It didn't surprise me. I think a lot of people mistook it being less and less acceptable in public for it being less and less common. And that's not the same thing. Oh, very good point. Yeah. Very good point. Okay. So sorry to interrupt that. Oh, um, so you were saying as opposed to how, how you thought you were going to be able to handle these sorts of things. As to, has that changed? Um, it definitely made me think a lot more about just looking out into the world and how could I how can I put that into context for this tiny being that is coming into the world who does not have any any prejudices or anything built in and, you know, hasn't even really figured out what his hand does yet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think just in terms of, of storytelling or, or when I write about difficult topics like this, kids kids can handle the the negativity like kids are resilient they are like tiana was talking about her son they can be aware of what's going on in the world uh as long as you present it in tiny enough bits where they can digest it and then you also talk about uh ways to help solve that problem or ways that they can be a force for good in the world and that was one of my goals in Science Wide Open was to encourage the kids who were reading it to see themselves as the women who work so hard in the books, that they could be like them, too, and be resilient and make discoveries, and they could help change the world, too. Yeah, I think it's important for people who don't know how to talk to their kids about this to realize, like, you don't need to sit down and have, you know, give a college level dissertation to your child right. about good and evil in the world and what social justice is and how we should all be a part of you know, f making the world a better place for everybody, not just for people who like us, um, you know, use things that are happening in the news that they may have heard about from their friends or heard other adults talking about in passing um, as ways to just start a normal conversation with them about what they think and just find out what they are thinking about it and talk to them on the level of however they respond. But they, they hear some things. And and we should talk about it with them so that they have a good rounded understanding. I think it's important to talk, not talk over them, but not talk down to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know when you're talking yeah. about those. Ask kinds them of what things. they think. Yep, kids have opinions on stuff. Absolutely. So on the flip side of all that, so we got the Charlottesville situation. So I think was it the next week that Boston happened, and uh, we have a good friend of the show, Delia Harrington, who actually lives in Boston, works for our Boston Healthcare for the Homeless. She is fantastic. We love her. Um, she was actually at the rally where I think, I don't know, they said anywhere between like 20, I don't know, a ridiculous number of counter protesters, as they're calling it. And so we were like kind of live tweeting everything that she was putting out because she was taking pictures and taking video and saying what was going on the whole time and seemed to be overwhelmingly positive. I think there were a few instances of people getting out of hand and doing things where they got arrested, which I think when you get 
a ridiculously <laughs> yeah. large number of people doing anything that are really worked up about something probably exactly and they you know that stuff's going to happen so talk about that talk about the positive side of it and did it make you feel any better about the situation or at least it, that that um caused that reaction i it was it was nice for me to see at least in that number and now you've seen the after effect which was i think there were like two other or three other rallies that have since decided that they're not going to do rallies in person they're going to have them online which i think is what they were doing <laughs> anyway did you feel like that was a decent backlash for lack of a better term from the other side claps for everybody that showed up that's an amazing show of love not force right. <laughs> um and you know those things make me really happy which was pretty important i mean yeah. given how yeah. things went down in charlottesville i think it was very important for the you know yeah, overwhelming I'm, number of I'm things really, that happened i'm really glad that positive. those people didn't feel beat down by the events of things like charlotte where it's easy to see those things and feel like we've gotten nowhere and just you know feel sad about it um, but they actually got out of their houses and went out of their way to say that we won't stand for that here. Um, I think that's wonderful. Um, and I hope every one of them shows up to vote next time they have a municipal election. Amen to that. Yes. Yeah. And so I know we talked about this a little bit, but the uh, next thing you're going to be working on, what is that? It is a set of three biographies so about specific uh, women who are involved in STEM. So science, technology, engineering, and math. And the first one is about Ada Lovelace. Very nice. Yay. And, and I believe we talked about her because she made our computers run really fast. Uh, yeah, she, one she made thing. software happen. There yeah. you go. There you go. She's incredible. That's awesome. And what's the uh, general timeline on that? Uh, remains to be seen. Hopefully, okay. ho- hopefully uh, October launch. Hoping for. Oh, mm-hmm. there, right, right around the corner. That's awesome. Yeah. So would that be the Kickstarter campaign? It launch? would be. Yes, ah, another Kickstarter all right. campaign. All right. We'll look forward to that. Thanks. So, uh, Tiana, do you have anything else for Mary? I don't think so. I really liked those uh, introductory questions. We should that always. That was pretty fun. Yeah, right? we should always do those. <laughs> that was pretty awesome. All right. That's great. And uh, yeah, so I appreciate you coming out. Thank you so much out with for us. having me. I'm, I hope blast. you enjoyed it. Yeah? yeah. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Yeah, great. All right. So for everyone here, Mary, Tiana, real quick, let's do one more time where everybody can find your stuff. Sure. If they go to my website, marywissinger.com, that will direct them to all the places where it's available. If you like to shop local, they're available at a St. Louis bookstore called Left Bank Books. Uh, they're also available through the publisher Genius Games and ebooks on Amazon, physical copies soon to be there as well. Oh, very nice. And we're going to get some copies to give away. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so look out for that. We will post that on our social media as soon as we get it. So for Tiana, I'm Justin. That is Mary. And uh, this was Mayday, the Handmaid's Tale podcast. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Please head over to allconsumingcontent.com for more great podcasts you can check out. Back to the Money Bin, a DuckTales podcast, Player vs. Player podcast, and Blues Hockey podcast. You can also check out our radio station at Handmaid's Resistance Radio that is on Slacker Radio or for free on the Slacker app.